Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerd App Book Club. This month's selection is White Ivy. It's Susie Yang's novel about a woman who will do anything to be with the man of her dreams. That is obviously an extremely simplified version of this story. We're going to dig into it much more intensely. But first, here is your spoiler warning. If you haven't read White Ivy yet, go listen to the spoiler-free author interview that is in the feed now. Otherwise... If you have read the book and you're okay with spoilers, welcome. We are so glad to have you. Our panel this month is a great one. First up, we have Leland Chuck. He's written several books himself, including most recently a novel called No Good, Very Bad Asian. He also wrote the review of White Ivy for The Washington Post. Leland, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We also have Bharati Nikiran. She's a researcher in New Delhi, and she reviewed White Ivy for the Chicago Review of Books. Bharati, hello. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Okay, so I think we should start with a slightly more in-depth synopsis. Um, This book's main character is Ivy Lin. She's the daughter of Chinese immigrants. They're poor. Her childhood is hard. She develops a crush on her high school classmate, Gideon Spire. He's kind of like the ultimate blue blood, East Coast golden child. Um, I liked thinking of him as Nate from Gossip Girl. I don't know if that resonates with anyone else. But um, she also has a relationship with a kid named Rue, who's also the son of immigrants, who also has a really hard childhood. Uh, But she moves away from that town. So she doesn't see either of them for a really long time. And years later, we fast forward to Ivy living in Boston. She's teaching first grade. And she runs into Sylvia, who's Gideon's sister. And she reconnects her with Gideon. And What was an intense crush becomes a full-on obsession. I think we should pause there um, because, Leland, in your review, you actually compared this book to the literary tradition of of other social climbing novels like The Great Gatsby and The Talented Mr. Ripley. And when I interviewed Susie, she talks about how almost more than race, this really is a book about class. And I'm curious how you thought White Ivy kind of fit into those other traditions. Yeah, I thought it fit in very well. I mean, I, you know, I'm a big Edith Wharton fan and most of her books actually deal with this issue, right? And it's not just the House of Mirth. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I don't think I was the only reviewer to, to uh, compare it to the talented Mr. Ripley. Um, and I think, I think it really works on that level. I think you really feel for uh, Ivy's upbringing, right? She she does grow up poor, kind of, and her parents are very difficult, uh, like many Chinese parents uh, are, and uh, I've written about them as well. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think a lot of the, a lot of the Ivy's background rings true. Um, now, as we get into the plot, it gets it gets a little more, you know, something that you you might see in a Shonda TV show, for instance. which you're referring to the fact that this show actually has been optioned as a television show by Shondaland who made shows like Scandal and Grey's Anatomy and all kinds of stuff Um, let's listen to a voicemail about the class thing because I think this is a really good one it gets at uh, what I think is a really 
important and well done part of this story. Here is Rachel. Hi, Nerdette. This is Rachel from North Carolina. I did like the book overall. I love the class differences that were mentioned. Uh, as someone who grew up lower class, I totally remember right, needing the right clothes, needing the right lip gloss. I mean, I didn't steal like Ivy did, but all of those middle school signals, you know, stay with us and they definitely create uh, the person that we are later. Uh, so that those felt real to me, um, as did Ivy. Ivy felt so real. She's in Boston right now. I'm sure of it. And I'll see her one day on the street and just be like, girl, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so Bharati, speaking of, of class, I don't know. I mean, like, do you agree that there really wasn't much to Gideon beyond the fact of what he represented? Um, I don't think that was that that was the intention to portray him as a one-dimensional character. I think there was much more to him, and towards the end, there's a lot of insecurities that come up. Um, so I think mm. the class, I mean, the angle that we see Gideon in in the beginning, as opposed to um, when we meet him later in the book, there are, I mean, pockets of information that we get. I wish it he had been probably we'd seen a little more about how he has, he also has been hiding parts of himself as um, Ivy herself um, hides. So I think there are multiple things that we as readers are not aware of about the character, but I don't think it was just about him as Nate. And if I could make a comparison of Nate himself in, in Gossip Girl has much more to him um, than just him being a rich boy. So. <laughs> That's fair. This is about to become a Gossip Girl podcast. Yeah, I wasn't a fan, but I think that was... <laughs> no, I, I appreciate the Gossip Girl criticism. And I think I think you're right. I guess I you're right that especially early on, I think that's what I really mean is that, you know, we spend so much time like just in Gideon's house where Ivy is just like looking at all of the things and and kind of registering the casual opulence that he lives in. And I find that in a lot, and he's he's certainly very gracious, but I think most of what you see about his personality for quite some time in this story is that he's, he's, he's gracious and elegant and privileged. He's very, very privileged, you know? And very conscious about revealing his insecurity also, I think, because... Um, you know, you see these tensions between him and his friends or him and Ivy. I mean, there's, there's lots more to him, yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. And we will certainly get to that point. But from where we were, um, Ivy essentially makes it happen. She starts dating Gideon. They go to the family summer cabin. I put cabin in quotes because it's a very lovely house. And in walks Rue, this guy that she had a relationship with when she was in high school. It's the first of a couple of pretty big plot twists, as we've kind of hinted at in the novel. I was delighted by it. I think that was the point in the book where I was like, oh, OK, like we're doing this. Um, it's always such a pleasure to just be completely surprised. Leland, did that point work for you? Yeah, totally. I mean, I loved Rue. I was, you know, just volatile, um, you know, character kind of hard scrabble childhood friend uh is it a coincidence yes you know it's like it's, it's very sort it's of very convenient right yeah. it's very convenient the whole thing like the whole thing is very convenient right you just suddenly meet sylvia they suddenly all of a sudden all these all these characters come together in a very uh you know 
TV show type of way, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I also think like Rue as a name is just like amazing. You know, you got Gideon the Blue Blood and Rue, and what is a Rue? It's a sauce. <laughs> it's a thickener. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just uh, you know, I, I kind of wish there was actually more made of the whiteness versus non-whiteness issue, but. Uh, like the author said, you know, maybe the intention wasn't to make a book about race, but certainly Rue was a name that kind of like, you know, <laughs> you know, it definitely pointed in that direction. Totally. Well, and I don't know, I think there are so many interesting things about Rue. One of which is that by this point in his life, he's become super wealthy. He like has plenty of money, but it's not the same level of wealth that that the Spires have. He's, you know, it's new money. It's like sketchily obtained and and so that leads to a lot of tension i think between him and ivy essentially what happens is that he and ivy start sleeping together obviously they have a huge connection Bharati, what did you think of rue i i also liked him a lot i think he was probably one of my favorite characters because he sort of mixed up you know the the kind of story that Ivy would have perhaps wanted, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it would have not been an interesting story without a character like him. What I also liked was, um, I think, when you notice her relationship with him, as opposed to her relationship with Gideon, that's how you sort of know mm-hmm. how much she's hiding or how insecure she is about her lower class upbringing. And like you pointed it out, right? The fact that who had new money and it wasn't it wasn't the kind of white upper class or the aspirational upper class that Ivy wanted so it wasn't just money that she wanted but it was also a, a certain kind of eliteness um, that perhaps mm-hmm. Rue couldn't provide so I think that, that that sort of made it interesting and stepped up the novel for me a little bit. It's interesting to think about how and I think you're kind of speaking to this too Bharati like the idea that in fact, Rue and Ivy are much better suited for each other, I think, in a lot of ways than Ivy and Gideon. You know what I mean? Um, I think I would, I I, uh, I have two opinions to this. One is the logical uh-huh. part of me. If I, if I were to write uh, two characters in love, logically they would go together. But the romantic in me would probably go with Gideon because that's what Ivy desires right I mean so desire has a lot to do mm. with love so I mean it, it depends on where you're sort of going towards because in the end it's it's she isn't happy with through either because it's he sort of urges or coaxes the kind of insecurity that she has suppressed or doesn't want out in the open so it's it's not as if she's able to completely be herself also I don't know. I guess part of it for me is that, like, is Ivy really ever going to actually be happy, though? Probably not. <laughs> right? <laughs> She's just not that type of person. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know, Leland, at, at any point during this book, did you hope she and Rue would end up together? I did. I mean, I think, like, you know, they come from the same background, right? Um, and I think uh, in something I pointed out in the review is that, actually, it's one of the one of the things that I think Rue does that probably, you know, doesn't fit with Ivy is that he probably had to work pretty hard for his money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Ivy was, you know, seemed kind of allergic to a certain type of work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she wanted things to come easy, and uh, Rue is kind of like the guy who probably who may, probably made his fortune sharpening elbows. Who knows what he had to do? Right, there are some some hints of criminality. So yeah, I think that that turned 
Ivy off big time that he actually had to like do things to get his money. <laughs> that is a really good point. As tenacious as she is, it's that like idle richness is really what she's going for the whole time. Mm. So I'm curious about whether or not either of you would call this book a thriller, because I think some people kind of labeled it that way and then were subsequently a little underwhelmed. And we actually got a couple of voicemails along those lines. So we can let's listen to them and then we can discuss. Here is Annie. Hi, Nerdette. This is Annie from Evanston, and I just finished White Ivy. I have to say I was pretty disappointed. I didn't think that the twists were all that twisty. It took a really long time to get there. A bunch of the blurbs on the book cover say shocking, and they weren't that shocking. I feel like I've read this book before. Hey, Nerdette. This is Claire from Dallas, Texas, and I just got to the part where we find out that Gideon's sister is dating the guy that Ivy first hooked up with, and that's been the biggest plot hook thus far. Like, it was, it's, it seems great, it seems delightful in terms of commentary on society, but in terms of plot, I'm, I'm just a little bit underwhelmed. I'm curious what you two think about that. Like, I don't know. I thought most of the twists worked for me. Bharati, did they work for you? Yeah, they did. But I don't think I would term it as a thriller. They did work for me in the sense that I didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't at all expect the ending. But I don't know if I would call it a thriller because a thriller should also scare you. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Well, and I think, I don't know, maybe to your point, Leland, at least what you wrote in the review is like, I think it's a better f- I think it feels plottier if you place it with the some of the other literary things that we you know more literary fiction books that you talked about in your review right I think um you know the the press sheet that we were given said it was like a an immigrant novel turned on its head and that I think that was the intent right that it was going to be kind of a bad immigrant novel um and I think uh you know, I, I never thought of it as a thriller. And I think uh, it does have have much more plotty elements than I think most a lot of literary novels have, mm-hmm. um, which is why I think it was optioned for TV and, and why I think it fits that way. But I, I read it as sort of like what they wanted, the immigrant novel turned on its head. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those books that's actually more shocking if you don't call it shocking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because you know? there are shocking elements for sure. So as I mentioned, Ivy immediately starts sleeping with Rue again. They're a fascinating combination. He's extremely wealthy. She's pretty disgusted by it. He threatens to tell the spire, so she throws him off of a cliff. This is the second of what I would call three big turns in this novel. I don't know that I found it quite as surprising as him showing up in the first place. What did you think, Leland? I, uh, you know, there are only so many things that can happen when you take a hike in the snow and <laughs> in a high place. And I was like, uh, you know, there are only, there's only uh, so many possibilities, yeah. right? And, you know, throwing is kind of like a, you know, and maybe overstating kind of gives them okay. a, a nudge, nudge, you know, nudge. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's much more gentle. <laughs> Bharati, what did you think about that moment? Yeah, like, Leland, I thought I expected her to do something evil, but I didn't think she'd actually go through with it. I think maybe I had higher expectations from Ivy, but yeah. (laughs) That's a good way of putting that. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting with a book like this, or, you know, where you have an unlikable character who's your protagonist, and 
you know, I mean, she has done any number of bad things leading up to that moment, too, right? I mean, yeah. even just, I mean, she's cheating on her, her boyfriend at the very least, let alone any number of other things. But there is sort of, it's like, oh, there's the line. Like, she just crossed it, <laughs> you know? Like, we're not we're not coming back from this. <laughs> yeah. But I think in, if I sort of uh, place it in the context of her getting her hair dyed and planning the whole thing, you know, there's obviously that expectation. But I also thought maybe a better, I mean, what I expected was maybe she'll nudge him or push him, but then he'll survive and, you know, it'll be her uh, downfall. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially given the fact that he popped up so surprisingly the first time around, I could see reading the rest of the book just waiting for him to show up again, essentially, you know? <laughs> And Rue is such a great character. You don't want to see him go, you know. I hope they change that about the uh, TV show. Oh, interesting. That's a fun yeah. one. I mean, I do think he is a really fun character. And it does kind of put a bow on that whole thing. Because then it's like, oh, okay, then she wins, right? If the If the only person who can really call her out doesn't exist anymore, then it's just a path to success, right? Yeah. Right. In a minute, we will dive into the unlikability of Ivy. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. it is about unlikable narrators that makes them so much fun to read leland what do you think uh you know i haven't written a few myself <laughs> <laughs> i kind of I, I really enjoy it i mean it really depends on the reader the type of reader you are right like i think uh, good characters who do the right thing all the time and you know are not the most interesting characters to me personally and i think uh we had you know all those uh, anti-hero stories uh, from the early 2010s, mm-hmm. like Mad Men and Breaking Bad. And and I think now we're seeing that uh, archetype of the story extend to different groups of people. And I think that was the intent of the book. You know, it, it, it did seem like that that was where, uh, you know, she was trying to go with the main character. And I think it really it really worked on that level. Um, you know, like I like I mentioned in my review, you know, comparing it to, say, The House of Mirth and Lily Bart. And you think about the sort of you think about the movie and Gillian Anderson playing this tragic figure. But she's also like a shifty figure, you know, that doesn't always do the do the right thing as well. She's kind of an antihero. It's just her circumstances are are less, uh, you know, are much more difficult, you know, than than Ivy's are. It seems to me that an important part of an unlikable narrator is that they're still believable, you know, and that even if I don't agree with every decision they make, I can still sort of like follow them down the trajectory of choices that they made. And I get why they made the choices, even if I don't, even if I wouldn't recommend them. Right. What do you think, Bharati? I agree with that. I think at least as a reader, I don't need to like a character 
or completely relate to every character, but it has to be believable and real, and it has to be tied down to something. I mean, something that pushes them into those dark corners. And what I actually I really liked about the story and also Ivy's character was we we know a lot about Ivy in the very first chapter itself because we're told that she's plain looking, um, that she aspires to be in a certain way. And we're also told about her, how her grandmother teaches her self-reliance and opportunism. So, I mean, we sort of expected her to, uh, you know, go back to these traits. So I think it, it didn't come out of nowhere or things that happened towards the end or wherever in the, in the book. It, it didn't come out of nowhere and it felt believable to me. And I really enjoy reading unlikable characters because they make for more fun um, books. Mm -hmm. So you refer to something that actually Susie talked about, the author, when I interviewed her, which is that she thought it was really important to make sure there was a lot of backstory about Ivy because that can help, you know, if you have enough context about how hard it was for her growing up, that can help explain a lot of the choices that she made. Do you think it made you like Ivy more to be able to understand her that way? I didn't like her at all. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Neither did I. Do you think it made you dislike her slightly less? (laughs) How do I explain it? I mean, I I could, um, uh, I mean, I I got irritated with her, but I still wanted to know her story. But I understood where those mm-hmm. insecurities and where that behavior came from. So yeah, it made me understand her, but not maybe like her. Um, because you can have a bad upbringing or, or a, yeah, people from working class backgrounds don't necessarily right. have to be evil or opportunistic. So yeah. Right. That's a very good point to make. Leland, was there anything redeemable about Ivy's character to you? I mean, I laughed at a lot of the decisions. Like like I mentioned in, in the review, I kind of saw her as like this reality show train wreck, right? Like there yes. are all these, all these paths that she could take, uh, but she doesn't. And uh, I don't know if her backstory explains that, that aspect of it. She's not trapped. <laughs> let's, put it, let's put it that way uh, throughout. She could, she could be a different person or make different choices like fairly easily and still achieve you know what she wants to achieve but she doesn't right well and those series of bad decisions are just like so compulsively readable right you know i mean it was the sort of book where you finish one chapter and it's like oh yeah no i'm just gonna keep on reading this one like let's see what happens next (laughs) yeah exactly what are the consequences gonna be now right um we had a couple of voicemails kind of around the idea of ivy and her unlikability let's listen to a couple here is chloe Hi, Nerdette. This is Chloe calling from California. I'm calling about White Ivy by Susie Yang. I really like the book. I'll be honest, I haven't finished it yet. But I have one question for you. Is our main character, Ivy, a sociopath? I've just gotten to the beginning of part two. And clearly, you know, Ivy's gone through so much. She's been hurt so many times. But she seems to lack any kind of empathy for other people and is really being defined only by how people have treated her poorly. And I'm not sure I like where this is going for her. <laughs> what do you think, Leland? <laughs> She's pretty, I mean, she is sing- single-minded in her focus on, <laughs> on achieving a certain vision of life. 
<laughs> That's a nice way of putting that. What do you think, Bharati? To describe her as a sociopath, I think, yeah, I think uh, I agree. I mean, it's quite crazy. I mean, yeah, but that's what made me want to continue reading it. So, Right. Who doesn't love a book about a sociopath? Let's listen to another voicemail. Here is Annalisa. Hi, this is Annalisa calling from Bedford, Massachusetts. Um, I know I was supposed to not like Ivy. I know she's unlikable, but I mostly just felt sorry for her. Well, except until she killed Rue. That uh, that was a little bit beyond what I was expecting. But overall, I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks. I think that speaks to another voicemail we got from Liz, too. Let's listen to that one. Hey, Nerdette. This is Liz from Minnesota, and I'm calling about White Ivy, this month's book club pick. I am listening to it and I'm about 60% through, so I have no idea what's going to happen next. Um, I just think it would be so tiring to be Ivy, like to consistently have to stay a few steps ahead of everyone else in order to try to get the best of them and stay on top. Like I do not have the energy for that and I have no idea how she does. It does sound totally exhausting, doesn't it? (laughs) She's exhausted in the book. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. She is. She's a mess. She's a disaster. Did either of you get a chance to think about why it's called White Ivy? I think, did you talk about that in your review, Barthi? Oh, I didn't, but I read Leland's review and um, he sort of hints at it where I think you say that um, it hints at her aspiration to be white. I think it's in the very first page, she says uh, how she would prefer to be a a blue-eyed girl or something like that. And I think that's what the title speaks to. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a common experience, right? Like something that I experienced when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, as you grow up, you realize, well, there's, you're kind of stuck with this. You're not, <laughs> it's not, not even something that you can, you can negotiate. But I think a White Ivy is trying to negotiate that. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, it's interesting that, that it's kept kind of subtle. Like the whole blue bud aspect, New England, you can't really get more, much more white than that. But the whole whiteness piece doesn't actually yeah. rise above a kind of a simmer that's kind of underlying a lot of things. Like the rue, underlying the rue, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, underlying simmer is a good way of putting it because, yeah, I think, you know, and Susie said this when I talked to her too, like it, the book is much more about class than race. But I think you're right that, you know, and the fact that it is sort of like an immigrant story turned on its head, like the the inherent outsiderness of then not only not fitting in because you don't have money, but also because you don't look like everyone else does just, you know, create a tension that wouldn't have existed otherwise. Yeah. For me, I think the, the feeling of her feeling trapped it went back to her wanting to be white. And although that doesn't come up too much, um, there's hardly any reference apart from maybe, I think there were a couple of instances where she talks about um, her appearance and things like that. But I think that's something that she cannot change about herself. And I think that's what sort of negotiates her choices that she makes and why she perhaps doesn't want to be with Rue or she wanted to be a lawyer, for for instance, or you know the kind of culture that she wants to embrace it's not only about her wanting to escape the poverty or the illusion of poverty but also a kind of elite white space in america Mm -hmm. so 
Rue is dead and he's for real dead. He doesn't pop back up, which would have been, I don't know, I probably would have been mad if that had happened, actually. Um, Ivy is engaged and they're going to get married on their wedding day. This is like the last, I don't know, three pages of the book or something. Ivy pieces together that Gideon and Tom are actually in love with each other. Tom hasn't come up yet, but he's a childhood friend of Gideon's. He's kind of always around. And Ivy decides to marry him anyway. And I'm curious what you thought. I mentioned there were three twists. I think this of this is really like the final one. I found it a little disappointing. I kind of wish there had been more breadcrumbs along the way. Um, I really was not expecting anything to come up in terms of Gideon having a deep, dark secret. Maybe I just wasn't piecing it together enough. Uh, Leland, what did you think? Did it work for you? Uh, I think it it worked on the level of it not being very surprising, mm. I guess. Like, it seemed like, again, something that, of course, like, would be the twist on a TV show. Um, did it work for the book? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, w- I was definitely kind of on the fence about it. Uh, almost, like, after, like, you push somebody <laughs> off a cliff, like, you don't need that much more, <laughs> like, twisting. That's a good point. Yeah. What did you think, Barthy? I think, I don't know, at least what you were saying about getting early, it seems like you're giving him a lot more. I kind of thought of him as a one-dimensional character, but it seems like you imbued him with a lot more context, partly because of that last twist, right? Yeah, I think uh, I have to agree with Leland a little bit here. I think it it did. Um, it wasn't surprising that he had a secret or he, um, you know, he was hiding something because that was evident from the novel because of how close the character was. It felt unnatural for me that he's so tightly wound up and we don't know anything about him aside from, you know, the very polished uh, elegance and all that. The smile. Yeah. 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 But I I didn't really expect the substance of the ending uh, as much because I don't know. I don't think they ever really drop hints about. I think think Tom kind of behaves erratically like throughout, right? He starts like he snaps at snaps at the wedding and all that stuff um you know would i would i have believed it more if gideon was say like a crook like a you know in, involved in like insider <laughs> trading or something like probably i probably would have that might have been yeah, more yeah, satisfying really to me that this, that her whole her whole um, house of cards of riches and wealth would, would be completely shattered <laughs> you know and he killed this guy wow. for nothing you know that if it had just been like a Ponzi scheme, I kind of love that idea, actually, because then that yeah. also eliminate because the way it is, they're still just going to both pretend like everything's fine, which is, I guess, a happy right. ending. But a Ponzi scheme would be really fun. Shondaland, are you listening? Because <laughs> then you're going to be poor with this guy. And then what yes. do you have? Then it's like you a know? Schitt's Creek. <laughs> We've got one more voicemail. Here is Janet. Hi, Nerdette. This is Janet in Indianapolis, and I just finished reading White Ivy. And the whole time I was reading, I was like, I get Ivy. She's a grasping, gold-digging social climber. I don't particularly like her, but I understand her. And But the thing is, I didn't understand why anybody else liked her. Why does Gideon? Why does Rue? Um, and at the end, I guess... The book answered what Gideon gets out of this relationship, but, you know, being not that rich and in love with your best friend doesn't seem like enough of a reason to strap yourself to a murderer. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I do. I understand why Rue loved her because I think he actually saw the real her. I think he admired her tenacity because he was just as tenacious. 
Also, they knew each other when they were kids. So I think maybe that connection sort of stayed on. Um, and Gideon doesn't know, uh, I mean, Ivy does a good job of hiding her more unpolished parts of herself to him. So I think for what he wanted out of the relationship, I think it worked well for him. Yeah, yeah I think he saw that she was, sa- he thought that she was safe. Yeah. Hmm. So... We always, I asked Susie, the author, a spoilery question when I talked to her a couple weeks ago, and we'll play it in just a second. But I'm curious first from each of you. So the ending, I mean, the last paragraph of this book is she has just found out Gideon is gay and she decides that she's going to marry him anyway and she is about to walk down the aisle. It's so fascinating because in so many contexts, the you know, woman who pines after a guy for most of her life and the book ends with her walking down the aisle is like, you know, I mean, that's the ending of like Cinderella or whatever. Is it a happy ending though? Would you call it a happy ending, Bharati? Not at all. Though I think maybe Ivy would look at it differently or I think she, obviously she was shocked and uh, she's confused, but there was this moment where she could have turned away from the wedding or something, but she doesn't. So that's a conscious choice for her. So um, yeah, I think it, it it's an unhappy ending, but that's what she, probably she wanted. Right. She, uh, she gets what she looked for. And let's, and let's remember yeah. she never loved Gideon in the first place. <laughs> like, mm, fair. Yeah. Fair. Right. So it's like the question, uh, what, what does she really win? Right. 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 Yeah. It was funny talking to Susie about it because she was like, oh, yeah, I predict divorce in two years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's listen to what Susie had to say about whether it was a happy ending. Do you think of it as a happily ever after for her? Oh, oh no. <laughs> um, no, not at all. Um, I actually think of it as a very sinister ending, which is, you know, which I, I enjoy those endings, whether they be a little bit unsettling or bittersweet. Um, I typically don't. I just don't buy like, you know, really happy endings where everything is so neatly tied up. Um, oh, totally. So I, I see it more, I, at least I intended it for it to be more, more of a very unsettling, sinister feeling, which is, you know, the sense of this person is walking into their doom <laughs> and who knows what will happen beyond here, uh, that type of feeling. It's just so interesting because I'm looking at the book now. The last sentence is, It was a look of peace, that elusive feeling she had sought, that they had sought together. She stepped on the altar and didn't look back. Like, I I see the sinister element, but there's also, like, this is exactly what she wanted. She got it, you know? Right. She's at that level of delusion in her head. (laughs) I suppose that's what makes it sinister is the delusion, huh? (laughs) So before I let you two go, one thing we like to do is rate the book on a completely arbitrary rating system. This time around, we're going to do stolen binoculars. So on a scale of one to 10, Barathi, what do you think? I think maybe a a, a seven. I think I would also give it seven. What do you think, Leland? Uh, I would give it a seven and a half. I think uh, I found it funny. It was entertaining. Um, You know, for my personal taste, I wish maybe it was even less plot driven and a little more like had more incisive social commentary uh, throughout. And then of course my, my, the ending that I just came up with uh, here, I think mm-hmm. would have, would have made it a nine, nine and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that ending would have been great. Well, and it, I, I think you're right. As you pointed out a couple of times too, that, you know, the fact that this has been adapted into a TV show, it's going to be really interesting to watch that because it 
I don't know. It seems to me like it could adapt very well and it will be a pretty great time to watch it, you know? Yes. Leland, Bharathi, thank you very much for chatting about White Ivy with me. Thanks, Greta. This is great. That's it for today. Thanks for reading along this month. An extra bonus thanks to Annalisa, Annie, Chloe, Claire, Janet, Liz, and Rachel for calling in with your thoughts. We actually got one other voicemail after we already taped, but it was so good that I think we have to listen to it right now. This is Maria. I spent the second half of the book screaming at my phone that he's gay and I'm really hoping I'm not the only one. I was then rather disappointed that she decided to kill a guy rather than realizing her fiancé was gay. But other than that, I really enjoyed the book. (laughs) Well, Maria, I'm glad you liked it anyway. Sometimes it's fun to yell at a book, you know? Next month's book is Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. This is one of the best books I've read so far this year. I can't wait to hear what y'all think of it, too. Stay tuned for the author interview coming out on June 8th, and then the panel chat will come out two weeks later on the 22nd. And speaking of books and June 8th, actually, we have a virtual event coming up. We're calling it the Nerdette Book Society. We're going to have an indie bookseller on hand who can give tailored book recommendations to you. Plus, we're going to have some genre-based breakout rooms where you can talk about what you're reading now and you'll be able to meet other Nerdette listeners. I am really excited about this. I would love for you to come. It is on Tuesday, June 8th at 7 p.m. Central. You can register at wbez.org slash events. You can keep in touch with us on the internet. We are at Nerdette Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Greta M. Johnson on Twitter. And our producer, Isabel Carter, is there at Isabel T. Carter. This episode was produced by me and Isabel. And our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. See you next month, y'all. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer Podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.